0: Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. By Xylem, let's solve water. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. And by CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. This is session
1: 187. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now, here's your host, Dave McGimsey.
0: Hello, and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGinsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a great show for you today. Brian Arndt brings us his unique take on wastewater innovation and how he developed a quicker way to perform microscopy on wastewater. What is microscopy, you ask? We'll just wait because Brian answers that too. We have a Bluefield segment where Reese Tisdale uh, does some double duty where we cram uh, a couple, we essentially cram two segments of of uh, Bluefield on Tap into one, talking about the disaster in Texas. And then he gives us a thumbnail on the three big water deals that went down in the past week. So I uh, can't wait to get to that. But first, and as always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors are Woodard and Curran, Interra, Xylem, Black and Veach, the American Water Works Association, and Can Do. And I'd like for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss, thank your contact at the sponsor firm, and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple note of thanks can go. And as long as you're letting sponsors know about uh, that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, or whatever other podcast directory you access the podcast on. That would be greatly appreciated, and of course, we'll help others find out about the podcast. Now it's time for this month's Bluefield on Tap segment. Again, that's Reese Tisdale coming at you, giving his unique perspective uh, on what went down in Texas recently and the three big water deals uh, that occurred in the water sector this past week. Take it away. Reese. welcome back for another uh, Bluefield on Tap session. How you doing?
2: Hey Dave, how's it going? I'm good. Things are good here. Yeah,
0: busy. There's been a lot going on, so let's get right into it. Um, uh, we're going to cover two things today. We're going to cover Texas and then all the billion-dollar deals that have gone down uh, in the last week or so. Uh, so first, Texas, what's going on? Uh, there's you know an emergency in the water space in Texas and energy space, but tell us about that.
2: Okay, here's, here's my real take. It's not a power problem. It's a water problem. Because guess what didn't freeze? Electrons. Water freezes freezes in the pipelines. Water freezes at the wellheads. Water freezes in nuclear power plants. And guess what? There's no power. So it's really a water management issue rather than a power management issue. So that's sort of where, I don't know, for me, that's the lens I'm seeing the world and what's happening. But nonetheless, it's created a catastrophe of uh, big proportions.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, do you have any, uh, you know, I, I think you're right on the big picture thing and it really highlights the energy water nexus. Um, what about, what about specifically, what about, you know, water utilities? Cause there, there are water utility issues.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, 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 absolutely. I mean, it goes from the sort of the, the oil patch to the household, to the water taps, right? So, but now it's, so things are frozen upstream and now at the household pipes, and taps are freezing and houses are flooding, and it's all a water issue. I think the issue is, you know, the water utilities, they rely on other critical infrastructure service providers, in this case power and energy, to make sure their needs and demands are met. And when there's a catastrophic failure, as there was in this case, their entire system shuts down, and it leads to a whole host of other problems. I mean, to put things in perspective, we're st- no one's calculated the numbers yet, at least that I've seen. Hurricane Harvey alone was $125 billion to recover from. And that was really mainly the Houston area, obviously. Uh, a lot of that, you know, it impacted water infrastructure, households as well. This is going to be far worse. And it's not new. This isn't – it's not like this – I wouldn't – aside from climate, it was just 2011 when there was another blackout in Texas – Specifically, that cause blackouts and other infrastructure problems. So, it's not a hundred year event; it's a ten year event.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, how does this factor into utility resilience planning? You know, I mean, because because you hear about these backup generators that they have on site. You know what, what's going on?
2: So, this is what I would say. I was speaking to one of my colleagues this morning about this. This is what scares me a little bit. So, utilities they don't have a lot of options, right? They have stakeholders and customers. Um, that they have to provide those needs, if regulators are not going to back them up or at least provide a backstop to guarantee some reliability, well, who has options? Commercial and industrial players. So industrial and commercial players, they can go buy generators. They can buy battery-powered backup. I mean, it's getting cheaper and cheaper. They can start doing water reuse and start doing supply on-site water management. That ultimately takes away from the municipal utility if they're relying on them. So in a way, it could be a long-term death spiral, right, if commercial and industrial players start pulling back from the municipal utilities, which are really a volume-based business. There's long-term, decade-long ramifications that I don't know if people fully see. Um, And it all has to do with resilience across the supply chain, right, from energy to power, to water right and they're all interconnected
0: yeah yeah uh gr- great thoughts it's really something we got to keep an eye on um because there's so much going on this week we're going to flip over now to the three am, am i am i did i count correctly are there three billion dollar deals that were announced in the last week
2: just yeah so yeah there were there were three we'll call them Bill, we're rounding out by 40 million dollar <laughs> deals so we got uh Agree, it's hard to keep up with. So I, these are not in any particular order, but we've got Quikrete, uh, who acquired Forterra, the uh, the ductile iron pipe supplier. Uh, they also do precast concrete. We had Autodesk acquire Innovise. That's Innovise has been that's been a target for some time. I know among uh, industry outsiders looking for an investment in water, but that was a billion dollar deal. And then we had uh, New Mountain Capital, who ended up buying the trenchless pipe service provider or Aegean. and that was uh, was around a billion dollars as well. But actually, yeah, that was uh, the Forterra one was much larger than that, if I
0: recall. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. We got players coming from different different angles. New Mountain Capital, private equity, um, uh, Quickcrete. That that one to me seems a. L- they're, they're the ones that are, I, I didn't, at least I did not personally know of their water footprint. So how, how did Quikrete get into the business or why, why are they getting into business?
2: Well, Quikrete, they also own, um, they own contact and they also own ranker pipe. So they're in the they're in the hardware infrastructure supply business. So it makes sense. Um, they have footprints, you know, around the country. Um, it's an infrastructure play that obviously I think makes sense if they were purely an outside outsider it'd be like yeah you know they're a concrete provider right i mean yeah. you know when i see quick read that's i just think of the bags of concrete at home depot
0: i heard, I, I think of my care. back hurting <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Fifty i don't know are they
2: 50 pounds 100 pound bags i don't know but they're heavy you lift
0: enough of them your back will hurt <laughs> <laughs> exactly
2: um but the other ones i mean to the new mountain capital one is is interesting in its own right because they acquired Inframark a month ago, two months ago, uh, the contract operations provider. So they now have bought two really pretty substantial platforms in their respective water segments, Uh, Inframark being contract operations. They're the leading, if not one of the leading uh, players in the space uh, with Big Footprint in Texas, of all places. And then uh, the Aegion piece—they're the 800-pound gorilla when it comes to cured-in-pipe, cured-in-place pipe, uh, cured and pipe uh, rehabilitation services, and they've been restructuring in their own way over the past couple of years, and so that was a big deal. Um, so the other interesting one, Autodesk, which at Bluefield we've been talking a lot about big tech getting into the water space, uh, will – that's what they've done with Enterprise. Uh They're going to apply their soft. It's a software play. I mean, talk. About, I haven't looked at what the multiple is, but I can tell you at a billion dollars, that's a pretty big price to be paying for Intervise. Uh, and I'm certain it was really competitive. Uh, I can't imagine it wasn't given my own knowledge of, of the space. But I think the other aspect of that is, you know, Intervise is it, on the same day, believe of that announcement they also announced a big partnership with Amazon uh, yeah for their uh, for their software services
0: well a lot going on and I cannot wait to talk to you for our April session of Bluefield on tap to see what else has been cooking so Reese it's always great talking to you thanks so much for your time and we'll we'll see you soon all right Dave take care all, all right uh-huh. bye well as always great information from Reese and Bluefield research now it's on to our feature guest Brian Arndt so let's get that water flowing. Well, Brian, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, could you give us a little on your uh, first off? I should ask you how are you doing today? What I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks. It's great to have you. Um, could you give us a little on your background and how you got interested in water?
1: Yeah, can do. Um, went to school at Vanderbilt. Um, always really loved chemistry and math, and got a chemical engineering degree. And was looking for, you know, what I could do with that when I got out in 2001. Um, and found a little firm in Brentwood that did water and wastewater. And, you know, getting paid to save the environment sounded wonderful. And still does. <laughs> I love it. It's, you know, it's a great job. Um, and then I went back and got an MBA and uh, came back to the same firm. Uh, they changed ownership. My joke is I've been working the same office for 20 years. They just keep changing the name on the door <laughs> and I'm hoping one day it'll be mine, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, w- what what exactly are you, have you found yourself doing over these last 20 years?
1: So i um, done all kinds of things from design of wastewater plants. I especially focus on troubleshooting of them. So I tend to go to a wastewater plant that's having some issues. We find out what the issues are, work through them and get the client back on track get them back in compliance, get our rivers and lakes cleaned up. Um, And over the years, I've had all kinds of experience with, okay, we can't monitor this, we can't measure that. So now I'm working on a device to help us with that, do microscopy instantly.
0: Okay, so what is microscopy?
1: Microscopy is in the wastewater world, we look at the bacteria in the wastewater plant because that's what eats all the poop, if you will, and everything else, right? And we can look at those specific bacteria and find out, hey, this is Nicardia. Nicardia means you have an environment that's full of oil and grease or soap or something that's letting that particular bacterium grow and that's causing a problem. And so we can then basically go from Nicardia means you have an oil and grease problem, which means the unnamed Mexican restaurant with a bell symbol probably is dumping its grease trap on you again. Go talk to them. Uh, and it can be very prescriptive and easy to find out.
0: Yeah. Um, so so when when let's let's back up a little bit here and because I feel like we're we 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 dived right into the weeds right so let's back up and kind of talk about uh you know you've you've been in the industry for twenty years how would you how would how how do you approach this you know culture of innovation and stuff like that you know uh can, let's let's talk about a little big picture stuff and then we'll get back down into the the bugs
1: um so for me innovation in wastewater is always really hard because we're the tail end, we're the guys who don't get the cool stuff, you know. Um a lot of wastewater technology is invented for other uses and then we happen to get some of it. <laughs> um you know, like pH meters, all those kind of things, DO meters, those were all invented for some chemical process upstream of the industrial plant. And then the wastewater plants got a hold of it and said, man, this is awesome. Um so traditionally we've not been in an area that got a lot of innovation. Um Lately, however, though, people are starting to realize wastewater has value besides just wastewater. In other words, like the energy value and the heat value in water can matter, Um, especially in Europe. Now we're seeing a lot of energy positive plants, which I think is a wonderful idea Um, because, you know, instead of, oh, it takes this many kilowatts to run the plant. Now it's how many can I get out? Yeah.
0: Can you, yeah, that's exactly right. So can you, what are the ways to to pull that energy out? Just, just, you don't have to go in depth.
1: Um, So heat recovery, one of the weirder ones I've seen is actually just running a straight heat exchanger on the raw wastewater. Um, We're looking at this in DC, for example, where the water's coming in and they do district heating with it. So you run oil past the wastewater in closed tubes, obviously, and move the heat from the wastewater to the oil and then literally heat buildings with it. Another one is anaerobic digestion. You can make natural gas with the wastewater, and then burn the natural gas on site. Um, those are the big ones that are easy. Um, other energy savings are stuff like you can actually dry the wastewater bacteria and burn those as fuel in power plants. So. Got it. Okay, so that,
0: that's that, I think that's a great thumbnail on on turning energy positive. I know that wasn't there something in the Vancouver Olympics where they did uh, district heating with with uh, wastewater? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So.
1: One of, Ramble's favorite project to talk about is we worked for a company that is getting paid three times to treat the wastewater. They're getting paid to take in food waste and wastewater bacteria from another plant. They then turn that into natural gas and, and then also fertilizer. So they're getting paid to take the waste. They're getting paid to generate energy and they're getting paid for the fertilizer out the back end. Yeah. That's, that's super impressed with that kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Um, So, so let's get back to the, the, the innovation. So, so go ahead and continue on your, 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 your thoughts along that before I interrupted you on, uh, on that.
1: Um, Well, and just, that's one of those things with wastewater. I think we are, um, we're able to innovate because there hasn't been a lot of work done in that. There hasn't been a lot of funding. Um, we're looking at what all can you do for a wastewater plant? Like, how can we make it safer? How can we make it cheaper? How can we use all this technology that somebody's developing for other stuff? Um, the opsize invention is just taking something somebody else invented in another industry, the ability to recognize images with a computer, and applying it here. My brother is the one who told me about it. He's a doctor, and he just said, hey, you know, basically I'm worried about losing my job because I read X-rays for a living, and they've got computers that can do this now. And if you take the computer plus the doctor, it's even better than just one or the other. And I said, well, you know, an x-ray is just a 2D image. If it can read that, these filaments that I'm sending across the country to get read, I can read that too. Um, and I think that's a, where wastewater has a lot of, um, that's where wastewater has a real chance to grab other technologies that people have already invented and apply them to us.
0: Yeah, that's a, I, I, that's a great concept. Um well, you mentioned Opsize. Uh, what, 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 you know, what is that?
1: So Opsize is um, microscopy, as we discussed, but done mm. by an artificial intelligence. So the computer takes the picture you give it. It reads the and counts, the filaments and says, you have this many Necardia filaments. Therefore, this is your problem. Therefore, fix this. And the problem I experienced personally is old school. I would have to put this in a physical bottle. And take it down to FedEx and ship it across the country to my lab and have my guy read it there. Um, That would take three or four days. And during that time, a lot of times these filament problems are foaming and other nasty issues. So if you can imagine the wastewater plant literally overflowing for three or four days while you wait for this guy to write your report that says, you know, it's Nicardia, go harass the restaurants in town. Or, you know, it's Thyatrix, you don't have enough air. um, That's really frustrating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about how it works. How does, how does this uh, opsize microscopy yeah, work? And
1: it's actually, again, pretty simple. We're stealing technology from other places, right? <laughs> We're using things people have already invented and taking them to wastewater. So you've got your microscope and, you know, 20 years ago, most wastewater professionals could look under there and recognize bacteria instantly. Now that's pretty much, those guys have all retired. The guys who wrote the textbooks have retired. So what we do is we take a little attachment and you basically can now attach your cell phone directly on top of that microscope and take pictures with it. This is something somebody invented for um, taking pictures of wildlife and such, but works great on a microscope. So we attach your cell phone. You just click and take four pictures of the sample, upload it to our through the Internet to the AI. The AI then reads the pictures, meaning it says, hey, this squiggle is Necardia. This squiggle is also Necardia, so on and so forth. Then it counts them up. And it actually even writes the report and emails you the report back saying, you've got this, here's your bacteria that is causing the problem. And then you can take it and say, given that problem, here are the solutions to it.
0: Yeah. So what kind of samples are, I mean, are these, uh, uh, what, what, can you talk about mixed so you just grab a grab sample? You're talking yep. about a grab sample, you just yep, grab it? Exactly. And uh, uh, th- tell me a little about about how, so if you, you take your grab sample, you, you take your pictures of it. How fast is, is the turnaround?
1: Um, we say under 10 minutes because that's the slowest it's ever run.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, uh, so, so tell me about what are the, what are the practical implications of getting that back? You mentioned the foaming earlier, not having to sit around for three days. So what just, you know, what, what actions could you take? Just tell me about like In practice, what you do.
1: I keep picking on Nicardia. That one's pretty easy to figure out. You've got the emergency treatment, which is, okay, I can go chlorinate. And there's two spots you can chlorinate. You can chlorinate the the bulk foam on top. Nicardia is a recognizable moose. You can also chlorinate your return activated sludge real easily. And those are things you can do to start helping immediately. But it also has identified the root problem, which is real critical in our industry because, like I said, that one's telling you you're getting too much oil and grease from somewhere. And, you know, depending on what your wastewater plant is, you probably know who's guilty. Um, You either know it's a restaurant, if you're a municipality, or you're receiving trucked waste, or, you know, if you're an industry, it's probably production unit so-and-so who always dumps the oil every time they clean their pumps out. And you can go talk to them and explain, you can't do this to me, guys. You know, this screws this up. It gets in the river. The EPA is going to be after us. Don't do that again.
0: How much does this stuff cost to implement? I mean, is it, is, is, there a, uh, is, that, is price a barrier to entry to use this type of technology? Um,
1: a little bit. I think we're working on our pricing right now. We're trying to figure out where exactly we want to be in the market on this. Um, right now, we're charging the same price that was traditionally charged for microscopy, $700 a sample. But we've also come up with this can be used for routine monitoring, too, when you're not just in trouble. And so there we're looking at we're going to give people a microscope because we're finding people don't have lots of microscopes sitting around anymore. Um, so for about 10 grand a year, you can get a rental microscope and as many uses of this as you want. So if you want to use it every day, we're fine with that.
0: When we step back and talk about, um, uh, innovation in the wastewater sector, you've already kind of said, Hey, we, you know, we're doing a lot of, of taking stuff from, from what other people's other people are doing. Uh, do you, do you find any characteristics that are important for how, You know, how do you how do you make those connections? You know, what are the what are the ways we can innovate in along those lines?
1: Yeah, one of my professors gave me uh, some great advice on this, I think. And he said, you know, thinking everybody tells you to think outside the box, right? That's the thing you hear about with innovation. He said that's the worst advice I've ever heard. He said, draw yourself a diagram of every constraint you have on the process you want to improve and just big, big ovals around your process, and then take off one of those constraints and figure out what the process would look like with that. And I thought this is great advice. And that's kind of how, again, like we think about this thing, what if we didn't have to ship the sample? Um, You know, what if we didn't have to have the operator go get the sample? You know, another silly innovation that didn't get anywhere for us is, what if we had drones go get the sample so the operators didn't have to? you know, it's an interesting idea. We can't seem to make it go, but it's another one of those. What if we just take those constraints off?
0: That, that raises a great point in terms of, of you're not always going to hit the grand slam with your first, first shot. Can you talk about, about that aspect of oh, uh, yeah. innovation?
1: Yeah, I, I'll use my product as a great example. Um, the first round of Opsize, we were sure we were going to not need the microscope. So we went and bought several dozen uh, different microscope attachments for cell phones off of Amazon. Not one of them had the contrast you need to actually see the bacteria. So basically that, that entire round of uh, attempted development crashed and burned hard. And that's where you have to understand innovation is a numbers game. You have to do lots of innovations to actually succeed at one. Um, the other way I would say it is uh, we were one of five ideas that made it through to funding. Inside my company, and that started with two hundred and fifty ideas
0: mhm yeah it's 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 a lot of that uh what what who was it Thomas Edison who said you know it's it's ninety nine percent perspiration and one percent innovation or something you yeah. know so that that's that that that's just a great reminder I think of that concept what you're what you're describing uh and and so Along those lines, what are the five, what, what, maybe not five, what are, what are the biggest barriers you see to innovation in the, in the wastewater space?
1: Um, the first one is we've got, we tend to generate a lot of what I refer to as tribal knowledge. We have ideas and knowledge that we know are true at our wastewater plant, and they may not be true anywhere else. So the first thing is you have to actually be sure what you know. Um, you know, the silly thing like, hey, if I go turn this valve, it fixes my wastewater plant well why no know, know all those whys to it um and then also i think we have another barrier which is this stuff does cost money you have to invest quite a bit of money to generate you know an artificial intelligence or to test a new idea um and that is something where we have to get funding and i'm seeing a lot of nice funding from either large corporations who are interested in new products or uh research grants and accelerators um Some of my colleagues have actually gotten a lot of funding from New York where they're just trying to develop local businesses and they're generating an idea to uh, identify harmful algal blooms with a light sensor that I truly don't understand yet, but I'm excited about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so along those lines as well, what kind of, what, what, what kind of pushbacks do you get when, when talking about innovation in, in the wastewater space?
1: Um, one is always, you know, we're a very conservative industry because the risk is really big. If we really screw up, you know, even if you're a wastewater guy like me, somebody's probably drinking what you're putting out a mile downstream. You know, there's, there's very little, um, benefit to change for change itself. So we are very conservative.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good, because, you know, it's, it's a public health issue and people don't, they're risk averse when it comes, if it's, if it's working, you're just risk averse, right? Um, does uh, that also seems like it, it would work against innovation because if people weren't willing to, to try new things, then they're, 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 they're not going to find the, the, uh, innovations that are going to move us forward. So, uh, h- how do you break through those, those walls?
1: And some of it is generating an innovation culture. Um, especially like in companies and municipalities, you have to reward innovation and, Fund it. You have to reward failure of innovation as well. This is something um, that I think is a little weird to people originally, but you have to at least recognize that people tried. Um, you know, that the 250 people I mentioned that in my company tried and failed, they all got something from our company, be it a letter of appreciation, be it, you know, a dinner or whatever, that they had tried to do this innovation. And they got a reward for doing it, even though it didn't succeed. And to me, that's probably more important than rewarding the people who do succeed.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like that idea. I think that is, is that helps people maybe break down or break through the, the issue of, uh, I don't want to speak up because everyone's just going to say my idea is dumb or something like that. Another
1: uh. concept we use is we call it fast to fail. Um, you're trying to get your idea, you're trying to find what will kill your idea. Um, and so you're constantly looking for the top three or four threats is what we're trained in and then test those. And if one of them comes out that this is gonna kill the idea and there's no way around it, you then either go with, okay, yep, nothing we can do here, or we change ideas a little bit. Um, Another comment on this is originally we were looking at three things. We wanted to do foam analysis, aeration pattern analysis, and look at these bacteria with cameras. The first two, no one was interested in, right? So we're solving a problem no one has. So we gave up on that idea pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's great. All right. So Brian, what, what other areas are, um, do you, do you kind of see as hotbeds for, you know, where innovation might, might take us in the wastewater sector? I mean, you've identified, you've identified my, I'm sorry, go ahead. You've identified my scro- microscopy, but you know, what, what else? Yeah. Well, I think there's lots of, um,
1: the, <clears throat> the membranes to me are a growth area for us as wastewater guys. Um, new ideas in energy recovery. I think that's going to keep getting bigger. And um, the other one I'm really interested to learn more about and kind of excited about is the um, granular sludge. Mm -hmm. So this is one we've been seeing a lot of activity around. And I think this is probably going to be something that people get interested in because you can, you know, grow those little granules and have much higher flow rates through your clarifier so you can refit your plant to run much faster. Not a technology I have gotten to play with yet. I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Can you expand on the granular sludge angle?
1: Yeah. Again, like not claiming to be an expert. I've just seen several presentations by the companies selling them. And basically the concept is instead of growing, you know, a mixed liquor where you just have tiny flocks floating around, you actually grow macroscopic, meaning you can see them chunks of sludge and you do this by either ballasting them with a natural fiber. I've seen that, which is interesting. Or, by blowing the wastewater out of the wastewater plant so fast that they have to granulate to survive. Otherwise Mm -hmm. you just waste them out. Um, And both of those make a flock that has then a nitrification center. So you have an anoxic to anaerobic center with an aerobic outside. And so you can nitrify and denitrify all in the same granule.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, you're, you're talking above my pay grade, but uh, that that's, I mean, it's, it sounds pretty cool. Um, One other thing that I've, you know i've i've done some or at least i've talked to some utilities about combined heat and power at their uh at their wastewater treatment plants and one of the big issues we've run up against is like sorry we've got aerobic digestion and so it's just it it's going to cost too much to you know switch us over to anaerobic um or, or can you can you just talk a little about about kind of what the prereqs are for the energy uh you know, for to become net positive through a yeah. CHP application. And, and it is um,
1: <clears throat> it is entirely about you have to design for it kind of at the start. So this is something that as plants wear out, we are going to switch over. Uh, generally, the paybacks are not good enough to switch in the middle of a life cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this is something that should start upstream with a wastewater plant. That's the other thing I truly really view is like uh, compost and all kinds of stuff you can extract and put that directly in an anaerobic digester to feed it, that can also really up your energy gains. So if you're a city, right, and you're doing this, if you can get your trash segregated to where you take the food waste separately, even just from your large food waste producers, like get your grocery stores to separate it. That stuff is huge amounts of energy, throw that in directly. Now as a city, you're not paying to haul it to the landfill. You're getting energy out of it. You're making money there too. Again, it's one of those work with your people and get them to help you out. That's where we see a lot of gains in this. Yeah. Um, Another wild one is wastewater plants underground are going to be a future thing, I think, as well. Really? Let's hear about that. We've done a full one underground in Finland because, you know, it's dang cold in Finland (laughs) in the winter, right? Um, So they basically hollowed out a cave and built the full wastewater plant in the cave, including the control room and everything. Um, Obviously, you have to be really well planned for this, right? You have to actually go ahead and do that. But that way, you have the land on top is not, you know, um, gone. So they have a nice park effectively on top of their wastewater plant, and about I believe it's ten or fifteen meters down. I don't remember the exact number, but they carved a cave out and they have the headworks, the primary clarifiers, the uh, aeration tanks, and the secondaries all underground in one thing. And again, this is really easy on energy positive because if you can imagine the amount of energy you need to heat a wastewater plant above ground in Finland in the winter. That's huge. So, now, oh, yeah. you know, if you're about 20 feet underground, Hey, it's 50 Fahrenheit all the time. Cool. We're good.
0: Yeah. So th- th- that raises an interesting issue. Cause I was talking to uh, one of my friends who's in the engineering space and, and he was talking about a wastewater treatment plant that was in permafrost. And it actually, it was because of the heat from the wastewater, it was actually melting the permafrost. And so they were having structural issues, uh, but it sounds like, it sounds like the one in Finland was far enough underground that it was below the permafrost. Is, is that kind of,
1: well, yeah. I mean, again, like 40, 60 feet underground in the bedrock. So this was carved out of the bedrock, like a real cave. Um, you know, I call it a cave, but we actually carved an underground structure for this thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that sounds cool. Um, uh, so the, the, the one that I was he- hearing about just, they just didn't go deep enough. Um, <laughs> It's
1: going to be challenging. We we designed a plant, I remember, um, and I kept doing the unit conversion because I was trying to turn from Celsius to Fahrenheit, right? And it kept coming back the same number and I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. Well, the answer is at minus 41, it doesn't matter which scale you're in, that's where they cross.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. That's good. Um, So, so, you know, I I love your enthusiasm um, and it seems to me that you know i've I've talked on other podcasts with other guests about um, uh kind of the the silver tsunami so to speak that that another another wise person in the industry coined it uh how can we attract more people with kind of your your enthusiasm for wastewater treatment i mean do you have any do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah I think one thing we have to do is we have to um, change the the structure and the data management a little bit. Uh, what we're seeing, because we're having to attract those operators ourselves right now, is, you know, the the older generation, and I'll put myself in that pile too, we're used to, you know, the time before computers. Like, I can remember when my house didn't have a computer. My brother can't. Yeah, he's nine years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So we have to get more digital. We have to really develop that digital infrastructure. Um, and they expect that. The newer workers expect why am I writing this down on a piece of paper to then walk back into the control room and type it into the computer? Why can't I just enter it? Those kind of things are something we need to think about as far as one, our data management systems, but two attracting our workers to the, the stuff they're used to. Um, the other thing is, and I think this is all blue collar jobs at the moment, if you will, wastewater and being one of them, we really have to make those valuable jobs and make people realize that those are actually things society needs. Um, you know, people give me grief for being a wastewater guy and I'm like, well, how, how, what do you want to happen if I'm not around? Right. If I don't design your wastewater plant, where exactly do you think your toilet's going to go when it flushes?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I I think we are, uh, the, the water sector and wastewater sector are underappreciated industries in society. So, but I'm always interested in hearing your ideas and people's ideas for, for how to, you know, how to, how to attract the workforce to, to our sector. So thank you for, for those, cause I think they were great ideas. Um, well, you know, as I indicated, Brian, I've, I've loved your enthusiasm and just your, your, you know, the, 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 the joie de vivre you bring to the wastewater sector. Uh, do you have a, you know, if, 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 if you have one thing for a leave behind message for the, the listeners, what would that be? Um,
1: I think for me, the, the lead behind I always try to give is it's easy if you do the right thing and, you know, especially in wastewater, that can be hard. You know, your boss is telling you, you, we gotta, we gotta keep treating water. Um, there are times when you just have to say, guys, we can't do this today. This is wrong. This is unsafe. Um, I always say, guys, it's just easier if we do it right the first time. Um, nobody gets hurt. Everybody goes home with the same fingers and toes. We got time to do it right. We may not have time to do it again.
0: Yeah. That's great, great words. Uh, so for those, Brian, for those who who want to find out more about you, more about your work, where can they go to get that information?
1: So we've got a website, www.opsize.com. Um, I also challenge people to come try us out because, again, we have a really weird technology here. Like I'm claiming I can do something with a computer that took a 20-year veteran five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So come try us out for free. We were letting everybody try it for free one time because we understand this is a big change and we understand that we're a conservative industry. So
0: yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Brian. You've been terrific. I really have enjoyed uh, the opportunity to speak with you and thank you so much. It's great. We finally got together. Yeah. This
1: has been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, sir. You bet. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Well, didn't you just love Brian? I mean, down to earth, humble, everything you want in a water leader. And I loved his thoughts on innovation and repurposing the innovations of others. Great story about how his brother <laughs> clued him into the use of the technology that you know eventually turned into his opsize uh, in, invention. Uh, and I liked his stories about failure too. They were they were money because too often we just focus on the end product and celebrate it, and and we don't we don't really appreciate all the time and effort that went into developing it. Well, we may appreciate it, but we don't we don't focus on that and realize that you know it's a struggle to get. Uh, to the end game, to where you where you end up. There's no overnight successes. Well, I've put a link to the Opsize on the show notes, uh, the Opsize website that that Brian mentioned on the show notes. So just Google the Water Values podcast, click the link, uh, and you can, you can get there and and find the Opsize website that that Brian was mentioning. Uh, well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues and tweet at me using my handle at DTM19. 9 3 you can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and of course you can sign up for the newsletter at our landing page on the bluefield research website again just google the water Valleys podcast click the first link that comes up that'll have uh, the landing page with access to all the show notes all 187 episodes on it so go ahead and check it out and on the newsletter we only uh, send it out twice a month uh 11 months a year uh, so there's nothing in July, so we it's we're not spamming you, and it's great information. I get so many compliments on the newsletter, and thanks to the Bluefield Research folks for helping out with that. That is a a, a huge help. Again, I've, I say this just to make sure that everyone understands what the relationship is. Bluefield Research and the Water Values Podcast are separate entities. Uh, we just have kind of a joint marketing arrangement. So where they're they're kind enough to uh, let let the Water Values Podcast live on the web on their site. So. Uh, Thanks to Bluefield. Uh, And again, thank you for tuning in. And a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for the 2021 season include Woodard and Curran, Interra, Xylem, Black and Veatch, the American Waterworks Association, and Can Do. Terrific, terrific set of sponsors. Thank you so much. The Water Values Podcast would not be possible without your support. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
1: The Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me.
0: Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.